Whiteboards Are, a podcast by educators about all things education. Welcome to another episode of Where the Whiteboards Are. Today is kind of unique for us for this episode. We have the most guests that we've ever had as I hit the microphone right there. Wow, rookie move. What? <laughs> Jacob call tackles me, the call equipment. Me Eric there. Whoa! <laughs> hey, I'm fidgety. I can't. <laughs> so we we are a full house. We have the original crew of where the whiteboards are. We have Dina joining us again. Um, I am Dina, and I used to be a librarian, library media specialist. Um, in a smaller district, and I am now moved to a larger district and a totally different grade level. So I'm now K-5, where I was typically middle school and high school before. So really excited to start that journey. We have our dear friend Kay with us, who has been a mentor to, to all of us in the room here. Hello, listeners. I've always wanted to say that. <laughs> um, I'm Kay, and I am a retired educator library media specialist. Um, I retired with 32 years in education and I was, yes, yeah, <laughs> a lot. I am old. Um, I started in the classroom, in the history classroom, actually. And um, after a few years, I transferred to the library because I also had that degree. And um, that's where I finished out my years in education. And I was in a smaller school district with the rest of these individuals. And um, actually, Dina is the one who took my position whenever I retired. But we also have our first guest via phone, Alan. Um, it's super exciting. Yeah. Hey, everyone. Uh, my name is Alan. And I, uh, I am currently a public librarian. I am an assistant branch manager um, in the public library world. Previously, I was a special education teacher. Uh, I taught sixth grade special education um, at the Fort Osage School District. I did that for five years uh, before moving into the public library world. Uh, initially, when I made the, the jump uh, to the library, I was doing youth services. Uh, so basically all of the fun parts of teaching with a lot less of the red tape. Um, and then a couple of years ago, moved into more of the management uh, with the with the library system. These three professionals work with libraries and education. They all have an education background and are community builders in, in that sense. And literacy is very important. So right now, there's a lot happening around the country when it comes to libraries, both in public schools and then public libraries themselves. In no way are we going to answer all the questions or have all the questions that we want to ask today. But I think it's the beginning of a, a much larger conversation that we'll be able to carry on outside of today. So we're just going to kind of pick these professionals, their, their brains here. and. Kind of learn learn what we can. Sam and Amanda are literary pros, being ELA teachers. So, so they're going to do most of the talking. Eric and I are probably just going to hang back and I'll breathe heavily into the mic, <laughs> right? Just to let, <laughs> let everybody know that we're still here. Um, well, I think an excellent place to start. Um, speaking from my own experience, the library has always been heavily on my brain. I love the library. I love books. I love reading. Um, what made the library the path that you chose? Like, why go to the library? Where was the value there? Um, I loved the classroom. Like, that was my happy place. I was a history teacher for 15 years. Um, 
and really the opportunity came. I've always been a reader, started very early. Um, it was what I was really good at in school as well. So that had a lot to do with it. Um, and just trying to get kids interested in reading because as a social studies teacher, I found students could not read at a higher level and, and, and comprehend nonfiction and those kinds of things. So as a reading teacher, as a librarian, I really tried to push to get those kids to level up and to have a varied interest because you're not always going to be presented with something in your niche that you like as an ed- as as someone that is going through education. Um, so that was really just kind of the draw. And it was that it was even better than my classroom experience. So I really did find my my nirvana uh-huh. in that in that role. So I was blessed. And to add what Dina said, which I agree with everything, but I can kind of come from the high school perspective um, in that I was a classroom teacher and I just saw that there was a huge lack in reading and that they had no interest in doing that anymore. The students didn't. And it was also a time in my life where I needed a change and um, it just everything just kind of fell into place. And um, it was actually the best move I ever made. Um, I did end up also being the middle school librarian because, you know, small school district, let's do however much we can with one person. <laughs> um, so I ended up being an every other day librarian in each building, um, which was also kind of interesting because you gained the perspective from both buildings, but also you never knew what was really going on in either building. So that was kind of nice too. (laughs) Even if you're in one building, (laughs) because I changed, we changed that when I took over for you. Correct. And I was at the middle school four days a week and I had an aide at the high school and I, I still didn't know what was going on in both buildings (laughs) most most days. So, Um, yeah, for me, (laughs) kind of a roundabout way to get into the library world. I, uh, I've been a reader for a long time and, you know, being a teacher, literacy was important and, you know, surely taught, you know, noticed that discrepancy with kids and their reading abilities. But I took a bit of a unusual route to the library. I, uh, while I was teaching still, I, I decided, uh, that I saw a job posted. It was a part-time position with the, with the public library, uh, Midcontinent. And I was looking at it and I, it's kind of funny to him admit this at this point, but I uh, was looking at it and I was like, well, you know, I hadn't been in a public library in years at this point. And I was like, well, a part-time job and it pays all right. And I was like, you know, how busy can a library be? I could probably <laughs> some of my teaching tasks while I'm at my, you know, part-time job at the library. Um, <laughs> turns out as soon as I started, I learned that that was not the case at all. Oh. And then I, I learned about, you know, just what a public library looks like in the 21st century and all of the resources that uh, libraries provide. And that kind of started to change my mind. I was I was getting a bit burnout on what I was doing with the teaching, uh, like with my profession in teaching at that point. And uh, then I, I decided, well, why don't I transition to the full time position doing youth services things? So it's still getting to work with kiddos, do a lot of the fun things um, that, that go along with teaching. Um, while I'm kind of figuring out what what I want my next move to make, I uh, I at that point I'd actually thought maybe um, I'll just go back and get my uh, master's in library media specialist, uh, go back into the school setting and be a school librarian. Um, and I actually I took two semesters worth of classes while I was doing that. But as I worked at the public library, I 
I started to learn that I actually really loved um, being able to offer and do the work that a public librarian does and the services that we provide and kind of made the choice that I, I didn't foresee or, you know, I didn't see myself uh, being back in a classroom setting or in yeah. a school setting at that point. So um, <laughs> as we speak, I've, I stopped taking the classes a while back. And then COVID kind of derailed that plan. I, I have plans to start my master's again to get my actual uh, library information science degree, but uh, I have still currently on pause on that one at the moment. Hey, no judgment. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> no judgment. <laughs> um, I would also be interested. I'm sorry. Did you, no, do you want to go first? Go um, I would also be interested in hearing each of you just talk about how you viewed your role as a librarian, what you really felt like your main jobs were. I think there's a really easy perception at both like the school and public level that you just like check out books and we put the books on the shelf and then I give you the books. And you hush um, people. Yeah, and you, and you make sure they're nice and quiet. Um, and I think we all know from having seen most of you at work that there's much more involved. So how, how, mm. how do you view your role as a librarian? What did you spend your time doing? Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> when I became librarian in... 2001. It was an eye-opening experience, and it continued to be that way until I retired, <laughs> because it was so changing every year. Um, yeah, I thought, okay, I can check out books. I can read books. I can do book talks in classrooms. I can help the kids research. And, you know, I thought, okay, I got this. But little did I know that I was going to become more of an IT specialist. Mm. And be able to work on computers and troubleshoot issues with the students. Um, that was an everyday affair to try to help a student with a computer problem. Um, you know, and that was kind of sometimes trial by error. And then um, also just the evolving digital world, you had to stay up on that. And your libraries completely changed over that time. It was a huge change from 2001 to when I retired in 2020. Um, the library completely changed. But basically, I became an IT resource for the teacher and just research assistant for the students was basically my top three things that I did in the library every day. I happened to come into the library profession after COVID started. Mm -hmm. And so when I came in, I was really concerned that my job was even going to be necessary if we were not going to be in person. And so I worked really hard to get digital resources for kids and make ways for them to communicate with me if we were not in the building. Um, so that really changed my role. And then I also just basically made the principal, I'm going to be in charge of the reading program because it's all over the place. I can't take this anymore. Um, so that that was part of my responsibility. We added a gaming room for rewards. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll say that. Um, so that became my responsibility. I don't think I had to fix as many computers as, as Kay did when she was in the role, but yeah, loners and trying to track them down and make sure they were there at the end of the day and they had all of the pieces attached. It that was that was a big thing for me. That was probably one of the biggest headaches. Um and then I also became a testing coordinator uh, cuz we our technology could not support everybody in the building testing at once and so we had to rotate them through the library. So 
the last two years for a month, my library was closed in uh, April, May, because I I had myself and the counselor were in there just doing all of the map testing. So it which was is the best <clears throat> thing for literacy. <laughs> <laughs> what? Well, you know, yeah, we're going to have an argument, Kay. <laughs> I, uh, sorry, I don't want to interrupt anyone. No, um, you're good. I, uh, I think I was just laughing as like you were explaining, you know, the difference of libraries and what can be the way people think of a, what a library is versus what it actually is, you know, in 2022. And then also like just hearing you both speak on your experiences as, as like in the school setting as a librarian. Um, I, I remember experiencing that even as a special education teacher at times um, of getting potentially pulled in many different directions to assist the school, you know, where needs might be uh, such as becoming the testing coordinator. And just kind of that importance of, you know, finding what it is that you do to best serve kids, then that can look different from, you know, one person to the next um, and, you know, one librarian to the next. But like also trying to like prove and solidify that, like, hey, my role is important. You can't take me away from doing this just to help cover something else. And uh, I think that's where like that tricky line gets blurred sometimes in the school library setting. Um, so for me, with the library world, I actually it was great. I when I when I transitioned over to the library, left teaching, um, doing the youth services stuff. I I kind of started to realize that a as I mentioned earlier, like we have so many different resources that people don't realize, and digital resources particularly. Okay. And um, was struggling to get the kiddos in, like to come physically to the library, like my library I was working at at the time. So it just happened to be located in uh, one of the largest school districts in the state of Missouri. Um, North Kansas City School District is where like my branch was at. So I talked with my branch manager being in the youth services role. I kind of pseudo got to create it in what it looked like on my own. Um, but I was like, why don't we take all of the library resources to the kids? And the best way to do that was potentially having that knowledge of, you know, I had the experiences of a teacher. I knew what. what life is like as a teacher. Um, so everything I did, I tried to enrich like maybe what they were already doing in the classroom, but I also tried to make it to where it was um, not like not any extra work or as little extra work as possible to uh, to the to the classroom teachers or the or the librarians in the schools. And I just would go and visit and do things um, like because we had I mean, I don't know. There were times that I would go in and we taught um, kind of the value of online digital literacy and how to how to properly search and find, you know, correct, accurate information. Like we assisted with some of those lessons going on in classrooms. There were times that I had uh, almost little like coding robots, I guess, is what we had a set of them with our library system of different ones actually, but I could book those. I would bring them in and we like, I, I did like an after school enrichment with, um, I think it may have been more of like a talented and gifted group, but, uh, but got to work with like programming and do hands-on things with them. And so my hat got to change a lot and do, but, but at the end of the day, it was like focused on how can I make the library and the library's resources you know, relevant and effective to what's going on already in a school setting. Um, and do that without causing a whole lot of extra work for anyone else. <laughs> so that was uh, that was the great thing. And then as I learned, as I mentioned earlier, you know, I learned more about the public library world and ways that we can make that happen. So um, 
we've been in on big push pre-COVID and throughout COVID. Um, since we're a larger library system, uh, we're able, we've partnered with all, almost all of the larger and even starting to expand into the smaller school districts that are in our three county service area. So most every student in every one of those districts automatically has a library card that's tied to them. It's their school account, but it's a public awesome. library card with like their student ID is their library card number. And um, that like, and it's almost set up in a way for them, like they have to sign to opt out of that. So they're, I mean, it's, I don't know, I don't have the numbers <laughs> right in front of me, but like almost 95% of every, every kid in like each of the d districts that we partner with, um, because that was our way of saying like, hey, why should we be overlapping on some of the resources districts are providing along with ones that we have um, when we can make this easy and we can coordinate things together to help each other out? Mm -hmm. I, I did that with oh, nice. with our local library as well, our public library, because it was just for the county. And for some kids, transportation was a real problem. Right. And so they got e-cards. Magazines, mm -hmm. videos, books, audiobooks was huge because I didn't have the funds mm. to do that. Um, and I didn't have a digital library budget at that time. In fact, mm -hmm. that didn't happen until I left. But um it was it was a really good move for us to partner with the with the public library. I don't have that opportunity in my new district. We cannot collaborate with the public library. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So it yeah. Interesting. So I thought I thought that was odd, but yeah. Because it was a really great partnership. That's such a cool approach to Alan to bring up the idea of like, let's not overlap. Let, what what can we do that's mm -hmm. unique and, and serve the most people in the most effective way? Uh, yeah. And yeah. to hear that a, a school district that size can do it. I mean, Springfield is the largest school district, but the, the library system in Greene County is Phenomenal. robust. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Like that kind of breaks my heart. Well, and I love... From a, an English teacher perspective, I always want more books in the classroom. Um, and unfortunately, I don't really have a budget to, to make that happen independently. Um, so I have to hope that administrators will pay for more books. Um, and I actually talked to an administrator this year about if we could partner with our area library at my school. This school is bigger than the school I was at before. Um, and there is not one to partner with. So that was really kind of heartbreaking. I was like, the kids don't have access to a public library. There's not, yeah. There's, there's, there's like not a library in the region. No, uh, not in a way that is accessible to where we're at. Um, about thirty minutes away, there's a, a library, but it doesn't technically serve our area. And then they asked, um, "There's like a private library." Yeah, there's sort of. a private library. Um, it's upstairs from a bar. Yeah, it's attached to a bar. Um, so you go through the bar and then you can get to the library. So it's not really nice. kid-friendly yeah. or well, family-friendly. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> Dad's going to sit down here. Um, and, well, and we kind of struggle with that because one of our initiatives as English teachers is we want our kids, I know this is so lofty, to read a book a semester. Um, and we use it as part of their final and we do some other activities with it. Um, but to have access to some of those materials, our library at our school doesn't have those. Mm -hmm. And so I wonder what other options there are um, to kind of help foster some of that. Yeah. yeah. And it would be really um, nice to have a librarian to help with. <laughs> yes, we, we, yeah, that's kind of the other thing. Um, and something that I wanted to bring up is um, at our 
current school. It's not just yours. There, it has been a trend. Right. Mm-hmm. It, it, the trend is to take um, and turn that library position into a coaching position, a sort of nugget to throw on somebody if they, you know, hey, if you coach this sport, you can also be the librarian. And We want you on the staff. We want you here during the day. You can be the librarian. And, so and it's, it's perfect. Right. And it's to the detriment of the library itself. And so, yeah. Yeah. Somewhat I mean, that's kind of why, heart. you know, mm-hmm. they've, they've tried to make like standards, I, 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 you know, over the last several years of to try to prevent that from happening. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't that kind of, I mean, what the thinking has been with education to, you know, almost to, I hate to say it, but to validate what a school librarian is and like to, <laughs> yeah, yeah. to define the job and expectations a bit better. But that's interesting. I, I think that money is a problem. And I know I just left a position and they did not fill it with a certified <gasps> teacher. Really? Or a librarian. They oh. they filled it with an aide. I didn't and know so that. And so it breaks my heart. I know it breaks Kay's heart because it's her library too. And um. But money is a problem. And so if they can shave money, if they can shave, you know, $20,000, $30,000 off of a paycheck, then yeah, they. I think they're going to do it, especially with the base pay being mandatory at this level, at, the, at one level at the state. Right. Smaller schools so that, are going to have to. Yeah, they're really going to have to figure out how to, how to make those pennies right. work for them. I suppose that's, sorry, I suppose that's where like, you know, the public library can jump in in a lot of areas to offset some of that and like the resources that they have access to. But, and I forgive me, I'm not sure who it was that was speaking of that, that doesn't have access to it, like a public library directly near them. But I wonder even if somebody else mentioned like using the electronic resources, the digital resources uh, from their library, like audiobook wise and ebook, I'm wondering if even like the nearest public library would be able to work a deal, you know, like out with, with that at instance anyway, to help offset some of that. Mm-hmm. And I think it's limited to the county that it's in because most public libraries are, are via county. Mm-hmm. That's how they're mm-hmm. distributed. Um, and I know Polk County Library that I partnered with at the smaller school, we had kids that lived in Greene County and Dallas County. And the only way they could get that e-card was to go through a school account. And it was, they couldn't take that card in and check out a book physically from the public library. Oh, wow. Um, so I, w- I wonder if those county lines are also a, a deterrent for mm-hmm. them to have those access to access to those resources. I mean, at a certain, like it's starting to feel kind of antiquated, like to draw those boundaries right. of like, right. Oh, well we have County libraries. Don't get me wrong. Those are great resources, but to also have school districts that aren't tied to County lines. Like I was, it's yeah. very strange. I was just thinking about that. Like how, how much of a division should there be between those two institutions, between public education and, and public library? You know, like it seems like they should be. So if it's if it's a county library, it's going to be the county municipality that's doing it, whereas education state and federal funded. Okay, yeah. I think Um, you'll find too that they their guidelines and their parameters are way more liberal in the sense of politically speaking. Honestly, Um, I know as a as a school librarian, I had to choose very carefully what went in my library because mm-hmm. I needed to know my clientele and I needed to make sure it wasn't a huge challenge and a blow up, uh, which is getting harder with the trends that are in literature right now. I mean, it is, it is, it's a scary place to be as a librarian. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, 
it, it is a very fine line in the school library. And it's very, that is one of the bigger differences, um, I guess, between the public library and the school library settings are, um, yeah, uh, just that, like, knowing what resources are appropriate to offer in a school library setting and being able to justify it versus public libraries and their belief that, you know, intellectual freedom is basically at the core of every library system that I'm aware of anyway. Um, and having access to as much information as possible is kind of our, you know, our belief in the public world. So it does, it gets a little blurred there on um, the differences, I guess. But how dare um, you public libraries trying to educate everybody <laughs> freedom of information. <laughs> I think parents think they have a lot of say in it too as a yeah. as a local school district. My kid goes here, they have to go here. It's the only school available. I don't want them having access to this information or this type of, of literature or these ideals that are out in the broader world. This is not who we are as a community. I think there's a lot of license for censor censure in that realm of the private of the school library than the than the public library because you do have to serve everybody right. no you don't have to go to the public library if you don't want to have your kids read those books then you don't go so there's there's a little bit more choice i guess when i when Which i put I'm quotation sure marks about change somewhat for you this year because i can almost guarantee that things <laughs> that would have been appropriate in our small school where we all taught um were Things that would be seen as inappropriate would be okay in the bigger school where you're going now. You, and I really thought that, but I've spent the last couple of weeks in library meetings with librarians from the district that I'm moving to. And, you know, when we talked about the award winners mm -hmm. and what we wanted to do with those this year, I had, there were librarians that, oh no, I would, no, I'm not going to promote that one in my library because they would really? not have. Our, our clientele would not appreciate that. So here, if I can jump in with, mm -hmm. with a question, and I, I don't think we're going to get to an answer on this, but it's something that I've kind of brought up with some of you about, you know, if parents are concerned about content and books, which I get, like parents can, can be concerned. That's okay. How come there's not like a, a book rating system? We have ratings for video games, for, for movies, for TV, but books don't. And I, and I get like, there's a certain thought about, well, you don't want to, label books and, and things like that. But at a, like, don't, don't you have to get to that point of like, if this is going to be a concern that we need to address to let parents and families make those decisions, like there's, there's gotta be a way to, to rate books about, you know, what, what has mature content or I, I don't know. Like, is it, is it their antiquity? Like they've just been around for so much longer than other media that you mentioned. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. What are your guys' uh, thoughts? Just, yeah. I wouldn't call it quite like, I mean, it's not really a rating system. But I, in the public library world, well, at least in our system, I guess we try to not limit access to anything, but we try to divide it based on more so age appropriateness. Right. Um, and that's where, you know, we have our, they're called the juvenile easy section, um, which is picture books for the most part. Um, but that's like a wide range as well. And then, you know, we have juvenile graphic novels versus young adult graphic novels. And then we have juvenile fiction, young adult fiction. And then those are all like in their own sections, yeah. separate from adult fiction and adult nonfiction and things like that. We try to tier it, but I mean, it's not a perfect system by sure. any means because uh, the number of books, you know, that are coming through and, uh, you know, being added to the library on a weekly basis almost are, you know, it's impossible to completely vet 
every aspect of it. Um, and we also don't really want to limit, you know, we don't want to push ideals or limit those views in the public world either. So we just try to divide it by age yeah. appropriateness per se, which isn't, like I said, perfect. But It's very vague. I think the amount of, of stock that you could get in is, is absolutely true. Um, and parents involvement in reading. I think if you find people that go to the public library, those parents are involved. They're actually bringing their kid to that and they have more of a say and they're invested in that choice where if you just send your kid to public school and that librarian needs to know what's appropriate and what's not, we tend to play on the safer side of things, I think, just so that yeah. we don't lose our job because some kid gets a book that maybe their parents didn't want them to. They they tr they entrust the librarian to make sure that that censorship is in place for them. Being in the middle school, which was fifth grade through eighth grade, um, to me, that's quite a difference in a mm -hmm. fifth grader and sure. an eighth grader. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, there were some books that I would mark with a special star or sticker that were only meant for eighth grade students. Um, and the others knew that they were not really, I didn't want to say they couldn't. Sure. But if they did, um, I would have to have a conversation with their parent and discuss with them why I deemed that book only appropriate for eighth graders. And then if their parents still wanted them to read it, that was their option. Right. But um, that's just kind of one way because there's just such an age difference there. Yeah. I think in thinking about a rating system, like movies and uh, video games are often rated because we're afraid that our children will see something inappropriate. Sure. I think in rating a book, like the fear is not that your kid will like read something genuinely inappropriate. I don't think that's the genuine intention behind book censorship. I think it's that they will think something inappropriate or more specifically, think something different from me. Um, and so I, I take a big issue. I don't really take issue with like content advisory. Like there are things that are upsetting. Obviously, age maturity is a factor. But like the things that parents might be interested in censoring or giving advisory over a book right. are not things that I think are acceptable to rate or advise on. Like a book with a, people, a person of color in it does not need a warning label or like a book with right. an LGBTQ person. Right. It's not need a warning label. I guess for me, like it, it's easy for me to draw on movies or TV, you know, like rated mature for blah, 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 blah. Right. And what I hear, you know, in news or social media or whatever, you know, people are complaining about, you know, sexual content or violence. Like, and I'm like, okay, as a parent, that might be good to know. Like, I, I'm not going to sit down and read my child's books. Like, throughout their entire education career. Like it, it's just not realistic. Like I will do my best to be involved and no, but it would be nice just to be able to pick up a book and like, Oh, hey, this has, you know, sexual content or, or mm -hmm. extreme violence. I, I, you know, again, I'm just making some general statements, but I, I don't know. Is there a downside in your mind to, to include something like that? I, I really think that literature in its essence, is there to help anyone that needs it. And and there should be a wide range of topics. Um, take transgender issues for, for right now. Um, coming from a small town that I grew up in and teaching in small towns, um, you have students that you know have different tendencies than heterosexuality. And to find a character in that book that is going through that and that can help them when they can't turn to their family even or their friends or it's not accepted socially 
in that community. Um, you know, I had friends that grew up and they did not get to live the life they wanted until they were able to leave. And I, I think being able to find something that maybe helps you get through that vital to, to society in general. And even if you are not transgender, but you read a book that has transgender elements in it, you might understand that a little bit more. And the mm-hmm. civility, I think, steps up a bit in the community if, if you can have somebody else that actually looks at that from a different point of view. So I, I'm really liberal in that sense. Like I choose books myself to learn about things I don't know about, um, you know. Yeah, which is awesome. Right. Like that's what you yeah, should do. The hate you give you was <laughs> such a, I'm, I'm obviously not a black urban individual, you know, but I learned a lot about that culture and I learned a lot about what the expectation was and how that was different from how I grew up. And I feel like that lended a lot of understanding to that lifestyle that I did not have before. And I think it's just really important, especially if you grow up somewhere that's very homogeneous, mm-hmm. um, that you are able to to understand those other other parts of the world. Well, and I just think, I don't know, I think that like a rating system almost gives good faith credit to book censorship that it doesn't deserve. Um, mm-hmm. I've never had a parent or student be like, hey, I can't read this book because it swears in it. Like something that you would conventionally right. rate a movie R for. Um, I have had a parent say, hey, I can't read this book because I don't like the involvement of a black character. And really? like, that's not acceptable. Like, right. and, and so by rating things, I feel like it almost lends to like, well, maybe now you'll be happy. And I don't think that'll happen because right. I think it's a much more hateful intention on average. Yeah. Again, accepting like some things are, you know, age appropriate that are not age appropriate for younger kids. Um, I also think something that I totally just forgot about. And I just like absolutely blanked <laughs> on what my other point was. I actually have had. A student bring a book back with a parent that had a curse word in it. <laughs> and they did not want their child reading that. Uh-huh. And I'm like, well, I'm sorry, but that's the way it was written, you know, and I'm not changing the, yeah. you know. Right. Um, Huckleberry Finn. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, exactly. I, was, uh, I mean, yeah. you know, and um, I just, you know, I said there's other options to choose from. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, obviously, I felt like they were sheltered. and. Sure. But um, but that does happen. I agree. Mm-hmm. And there are other options. That's kind of the only way I could deal with that is just, right. you know, other things for them to read. But Well, and I so that was my other point. Like when you're watching a movie, um, I cannot unsee some like the, the changes can happen very suddenly in a movie um, because it is visual media. Right. So like if somebody's suddenly getting their head chopped off, for example, that's happened like and it could be very sudden eric and i have watched a movie where like the death of a character just happened unexpectedly very sudden i can't unsee it books don't happen at the same pace um so if your book is starting to upset you and you are uncomfortable with the content please close it and pursue another like i just you know so i I think part of reading is like the abruptness of that media that you're consuming that a book just doesn't have based on you actually have to read the process I'm so upset, though, whenever a book is challenged, like I'm a huge Harry Potter nerd mm-hmm. and I am offended almost when people it's about witchcraft. No, it 
It really is not. <laughs> those um, are, those are not Wiccans in that book. I hate to break it to you. That's a that's a real thing somewhere else, and that's not what this is. So um, the interpretation is so bad that it's almost laughable sometimes. But I, I want I worry about that because when somebody says I, I I don't want them to read this book, well, have you read the whole thing? Right. If you have not, I'm not going to have a conversation with you because you're uninformed as opposed to ignorant, which I would like to use in that case. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I think the history less the history teacher in me. Alan, I'm curious, do you feel like the public library faces any sort of censorship um, pressure? Or is that something that just based off your mission that you guys say kind of immune to? Definitely not immune to it. Um, luckily, like my library system has avoided anything serious at this point. But there are issues going across the country with public libraries and the access being provided for, you know, whether it be content um, with books or anything, um, programs offered. There are a lot of things being challenged, like more so than we've seen in quite a while recently um, over the last couple of years. And uh, I will say, not to change the subject, but really quick on like Jacob's comment on like a rating system. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I just think that that would uh, that that goes against most of the things that like the American Library Association has created with their the Library Bill of Rights and freedom to read statements and like access of what public libraries are. Um, we are not ones to judge what is deemed appropriate or inappropriate because um, that's different from, you know, each person, each family, everything. Uh, so we're not the ones that determine that. And I think a rating system would cause a lot of scare and alarm in the library world because it's all being like grouped together um, and typecasted almost. Yeah. Uh, and then as far as being cha- like things being challenged with library. Yes, I uh, I wish I could speak to it a little better on some of the ones going on right now. But I know that, like, as you mentioned earlier, a lot of libraries systems are funded by um the county governments essentially um is is where a large amount of funding comes from um and there are libraries being defunded um at the moment uh because of decisions they've made on refusing to ban access or limit access to material um there are yeah it's it's happening all across the country at the moment i promise you um just not as it's such a library public library move but just not as in the uh the public eye maybe um as what's happened in in the education world um (laughs) so yeah i there was a there was a library last week they literally voted to defund it it's in michigan um i can't i can't speak to it where it is at the moment um but literally as being shut down um because of the they voted to like take away its funding and because they didn't believe in the access that it was providing or, um, you know, information that they, it was allowing access to. So I will say, yes, that's, uh, that's a problem. We do. Most library systems do have very specific avenues and structures for how to handle when things are challenged, um, just to stay organized and to make sure, you know, we're checking, like checking, you know, crossing our T's, dotting our I's, ensuring that we have ourselves covered. They're like almost every library system or it's recommended anyway, uh, that they have an actual process for handle that, for handling those, those things. I'm sorry, but something I, just a comment, you know, uh, something about 
defunding a library is like just such performative crap, honestly, because <laughs> the, in the internet is a thing. Right. And so you're mad right. that the library is providing access to information. Right. We live in the age for of free. the internet. Yeah, yeah. Right. for free. I just, I don't know. That just seems like such a, I don't. Yeah. Not, that well, libraries contribute. have suddenly changed the way they do things, right? Oh. Like, you know. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. we're brand on cutting new edge. In the past, yes. what, like two months? Or <laughs> just suddenly changed. Yeah. I find it. It feels very cyclical. Like mm. in in my limited time being aware of the the world of consciousness, right? <laughs> you know, I've seen the a similar attack on music, and like you know, oh. the, these lyrics are inappropriate. And now there's a rating system. Like it, it, right. they implemented, like you have to be so old to, you know, buy buy the CD. Yeah. yeah. And Which, the, but well, the, how this, weird is that right. now? That's gone too. Because <laughs> right. it's all on it's YouTube. What's right. the <laughs> and the same thing happened with, with video games. The mm. same thing happened with, uh, you know, over the air TV. All those things now have rating systems. Is the answer like, like to the parents that are, that are concerned? Is it just, you know, you need to be the person that is involved with your child to, to make those decisions and don't put the onus on the, library whether it's at the school or for the you know public community like absolutely it's the same absolutely. thing with sex yeah. it's the same thing with drugs it's the same thing with alcohol if you teach your child that those are not things that your family is okay with you participating in it's the same thing and and for them to be able to make the decision based upon i mean there's gonna be things on the back of that book or the inside cover of that book to tell you what's in there if you want to ask that question, ask your librarian so that they can inform you and you can make an educated decision. Right. But it, it's the same thing. You, I feel like it's just holding our feet to the fire to make us liable for it. When we really, that's not my job. It's not my job to raise your kid to make good choices based upon your family values because everybody's family is different. It's just too big of an audience. For you to satisfy as a librarian. I would also wonder, like, so with rating systems and things like music, for example, if we think about that in the process, what got accomplished? Like, did anything get accomplished beyond maybe the reduction of some artist content um, and the fact that now we have this label? Or like, because if I wanted to buy, I don't know. With somebody who swears a lot. If I M &M. wanted to buy Eminem's CD at 15, I definitely still could have. Like, it, right. like so did we really, like, achieve or accomplish anything? And, like, with books, that is our, our knowledge. Like, that is our information. And so if we are going to consent to the reduction of our access to information versus the access to Eminem's rage at his mother, like, these are... <laughs> Different implications for what could be lost as a result. At Eminem gained sales. Oh yeah, on, oh, on the premise sure, that he sure. had any well, next yeah. to his songs right. or I'm, his album. I'm I mean, tempted to say, why not just make a rating system? And be like, all of these are rated R. Kids, come read them. Read them now. Come like banned books is pick them they're, up. They're good for a reason yeah. because <laughs> they are unpopular belief systems at the time. You know, if you read 1984. And then you look at what's happening today. You probably should, you know, give that guy an award for fortune telling. I had a, a conversation with uh, a parent that his children are, are now adults, not in public school system. I um, mean, it's free to make their own decisions. But I tried to be open to, to what he was bringing up and like the idea that is there material that should not be in a school library? And it's like, well, I think that's easy to say. Yes, there is some material 
Right. Absolutely. And then, it, then the question becomes, well, where do you draw that line? And that's that's not easy. And I don't think I don't, I don't expect us to answer that. But it's like, OK, I think most people can say, OK, yeah, there needs to be a line. Uh-huh. But I also think we're hiring professionals to run these libraries. Sometimes. Well done. Well done. Okay. Yeah. Well, we should be hiring professionals <laughs> to be running these institutions and making professional decisions. There's so many things we could talk about. And Alan, you, you brought up when we were texting back and forth that you had some friends that were on, what was it? The freedom committee with MLA. Yeah. Yeah. So they're on the intellectual freedom uh, committee at the state level of Missouri Library Association. Um, and then they're also like at the one here that we have with Midcom Public Library. Um, and they've done a lot uh, over the last few years, particularly of going through and training people on what it means for intellectual freedom and um, how to kind of be a uh, intellectual freedom fighter per se in the public <laughs> library world. Yeah. Uh, but also in the last you know year or so, they've, they've started to reach out and expand into like, work with certain school districts and working with, um, oh, help me out, the Missouri uh, School Librarians Association. Massel. Um, yes, thank you. On, uh, on like what intellectual freedom looks like in the school setting. So I don't know. We, in the public library world, we fall on, and maybe it's because the public library world's been around, you know, for a long time and has had this developed, you know, our views very right, strongly right. on things, but we rely heavily on the First Amendment um, uh, is to, you know, it is in the Constitution that defends our right to do these things. So by definition, some people could look at it that since a public school is a public entity, uh, a public school library should kind of follow the same rules as well. But I get where it gets very, very um, political gray. <laughs> political on what is appropriate and what isn't right, yeah right. exactly what i'm hearing is if if you're a public school librarian like your local library can be a great resource for many many things and they can be an ally even if they're not in your community and maybe you can't access them for <laughs> i need to find some library material, but there, there are people <laughs> yeah there are people working on behalf of i guess intellectual freedom um it, it's, I think it's a complex issue. You know, I don't think it's cut and dry. You know, as a parent, I, I'm like, okay, I don't, I don't want to just take away all parents' rights, but I also want to say we'll be involved. Public libraries fall on that sword. That's yeah. definitely our take. If somebody, if a minor is, you know, accessing something and it may be deemed inappropriate by their parent, guardian, whomever, we are not the ones that are making that decision. It should be the guardian parent that makes that decision and helps you know helps the kiddo with finding material that is more you know appropriate um, but i'm doing air quotes there so as a public librarian is that part of your sign up process for the card that that the guardian does relinquish that response you know like they relinquish you of that responsibility for for being held to the fire yeah, for, for that child yeah. choosing that is is that part of your sign up process? I wonder. Absolutely, absolutely. Good. And I don't off the top of my head. I believe if it's under the age of thirteen, they have to have a guardian with them um, to sign up for a library card. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, 
I believe 13 through 17 can, but they also like it kind of falls on that guidelines and the, there's a little descriptive thing that they like, you know, they sign when they do it. That basically right. is saying that they're acknowledging this. Um, so, yeah. And kind of the like if you check library material out and don't return it, the financial responsibility falls on you. Sure. <laughs> kind of a thing as well. But So couldn't we do that for school, though? I mean, in, in some sense, like, hey. You have said that you want your child in public school with access to a library. This is the library. Um, Whatever they choose to read from our library is, you know, that same sort of principle. Like, hey, it's up to them. Like, they chose to pick out that book. It's so changeable, though, I think, with the times and I think with the community that you have, um, depending on who's on the school board, honestly, it, 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 I mean, one year could be it would end up one way if there was a challenge and if there was a different board member on there, it could, it could turn out a whole different way. Right. So, and mm-hmm. I think the 24 hour news cycle informs a lot of people of things that are oh, sketchy yeah. in their opinion. And, and so they get their information for that and then they just jump on it and they think it's a 24 hour news cycle response when it really isn't in the public school system and probably not even in the public library system. I, Alan, you can verify that or not. Uh, yeah. Like a response um, to a challenge. It's it's not immediate. Correct. No, no, no. There's, we have a very specific process that people have to go through to like challenge material, like a challenge a specific item. Um, sorry. I was thinking about you, you got me <laughs> sidetracked in my brain as you were mentioning, like, it depends on school boards and things. Mm-hmm. Yes, a hundred percent. Your local elections matter. That's uh, mm-hmm. I think that's what yeah, people yeah. at the end of the day really, really need to pay attention to, uh, because although we've kind of at, in my library system have avoided any of the issues of direct like challenging of material mm-hmm. um, recently, uh, we will. I will say like our we've had some other issues with uh, thinking in the diversity, equity, and inclusion realm, mm-hmm. um, and differences of our board members on that stance and it's led into some other arguments that can be very partisan um, Interesting. and our board of our board of uh trustees we have four board members from each of our three counties so we have 12 and they're they're not elected positions they're appointed by the county commission um of okay. each of those counties hmm. and definitely has been a feud over the last mm, I think the tide's been turning the last couple of years, but mm-hmm. um, it has caused quite a bit of issue regarding even budgeting and approving our like proposed budget for our fiscal year that just started at this like in July. Um, there was feuding amongst our board on that and those topics. So, yes, what I'm getting at is I, I got distracted by you mentioning that because I'm like, yes, local elections and paying attention to local government is just as if not more important than paying attention to state and, uh, you know, country government and elections, I think, Mm -hmm. Uh, because of those decisions that are made at the small level, at the local level, are the ones that really affect you locally. (laughs) So, sorry, I'll get off my soapbox. No, that's a nice call to action. I'm I'm just going to open it up the floor to last thoughts here. I'm just going to say... In a perfect world, which we all know that will never happen, wouldn't it be great if our students would actually go home, read a book, and if there's something in there they have questions about, talk to your parents or talk to your guardian about it. Um, That's what I, as a librarian, try to instill in the students or talk to a trusted adult, um, anybody like that. Um, 
as a parent. I did that with my own child. Shout out to Jaden. <laughs> She's really good. <laughs> but, you know, as she began to find her way into reading, um, I didn't really limit what she read. Um, but we always had that understanding that if there was something she read that she didn't quite understand, um, whether that be um, if it was inappropriate or not, you know, um, she could come and ask and we would talk about it. So I think that's my parting thought. I would like for parents to be open-minded enough to listen to their student if they have questions and be able to answer those for them, um, which would probably help school librarians a ton, not worrying about, oh, should this kid really check this book out or not? And not just with abject dismissal. Right. I think trends in books are just like trends in clothing. Um, Right now, I think you see an uptick in transgender and and those kinds of things black lives matter is a really big thing ethnicity yeah yeah, social justice um telling the correct history um with critical race theory and all all of that stuff going on um the holocaust didn't exist i think i was most appalled this last year when texas said you you cannot have school you cannot have libraries in your classrooms that do not represent both sides of the argument and so as a classroom teacher of the Holocaust, you had to have Holocaust where it actually happened. And then also books represented that it didn't happen. And I'm not really sure where you get those, except, well, I just don't, I don't know. I didn't want to go to those places anyway. Um, Germany. Uh, but, you know, I, I just want, I worry about those things. And I worry oh, no. about the trends and I think people don't understand that, that that's going to come down as it becomes more socially acceptable to have those conversations because you're going to have to because those people are are empowered by those those texts and so i i think everybody probably needs to just calm down cool your jets because it's coming you don't have to agree with it right but if civility is is going to improve you're you're gonna have to listen to it just to get through it so i but i think the trend is is fads are, are up and down in books and right now it's all about diversity and, and those touchy subjects um, because you're putting into the hands of youth that might think differently about it than what is being parroted from home. I don't know. I have so many things, closing thoughts. Um, <laughs> basically, I guess um, libraries, we're not, uh, we're not trying to change anybody's opinions or views on anything. We're trying to let you know that there are a lot of ideas out there and everyone should have access to all of them. That's, I mean, at the end of the day, particularly, yeah, that's, that's what it should be. Also, uh, you ladies, uh, my library media specialists, um, need to reach out and I don't know, try to develop that partnership with the public library world to, uh, to see if there's ways that they can assist in how you run your school library as well. Um, I, yeah, I really appreciate this kind of conversation. It's nice to know that not nice, I guess. It's not comforting to know um, that public libraries are also under the same level of scrutiny and ch- potential challenges that the school libraries are seeing, um, especially as an English teacher. Something that I do oftentimes worry about is that um, that challenge that could potentially happen. And so it is mm-hmm. comforting, though, however, to know that the public library is still very much into intellectual freedom and allowing. Um, allowing those voices to be heard and to keep them. Go for it, Sam. Just something that I tell myself all the time. I do think there's like an actual, Dina was talking about trends. I do think there's a trend that favors anti-intellectualism. 
Um, and trends will change. So if it seems dark and dreary, I believe we can weather the storm. That's all. That's all. Right. And if you've got any job opening sure. soon for any library things where you are at, just let us know. Because are you leaving? English teachers will always leave. Show. <laughs> oh, for a library job, absolutely. Uh, to work in a library, Jacob, end the podcast absolutely. now before Amanda leaves. <laughs> I know you only have right. three. How dare you leave education? <laughs> the audacity! Uh, dream job. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Uh, it okay. was a smart decision for me. <laughs> I, I only left because Alan left. You know, I saw, I saw so ha- how happy he was, and I'm like, I gotta give me some of that. Like, yeah. But you don't know how to read, Jacob. I don't know what you're gonna right, do. Yeah, yeah. He's just oh, really hard. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode. I have a feeling that we can dive back into this topic even more in the future. I thank our fantastic guests uh, for providing their professionalism and insight into this topic. And hopefully we can have them back as we delve into this even more. And, and I'm sure trends will, will change and we'll have lots more to talk about um, things that happen locally around the state and the nation. Um, if you have any questions or comments about anything uh, related to our topic, please do not hesitate to reach out to us. Again, thank you to our guests. Thanks for listening to Where the Whiteboards Are. The opinions expressed in our podcast are that of the individuals and do not represent the opinions of their employers, school districts, or communities in which they work. Listen, don't sue us. That's the key. We will sue you. Don't sue us. Okay.